What exactly does it mean to be spiritually mature? I mean, what does that really look like? Does it mean that we're embracing uh, ignorance and mystery, or does it mean something else? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello and welcome everybody. I'm your host Toby Logsdon and you are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, February the 28th of 2012 and welcome. We are so blessed and so happy to have you here with us as we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Today we're going to be studying Romans chapter 15 verses 14 to 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15 and we'll cover verses 14 to 16 here. Uh, in just a moment, but I want to welcome you guys and get a couple announcements out of the way. Uh, first of all, uh, it's come to my attention that you guys uh, are having trouble when you go to our website um, and what you're doing is you're you're, fi- you're finding out that there's this, I don't know, kind of a bug that we've got, I guess, where uh, when you hit next page, it's not actually taking you to the next page. It's taking you to some random assortment of of podcasts that we've done, and there's no there's no real chronological or, or logical order to it at all. Um, anyway, I want to let you guys know that that has been brought to my attention. We are addressing it. Uh, I think what we're going to do is totally revamp the website. Uh, that looks like it might be our best option at this point. So instead of um, you know, if, if if you can't get the podcasts off of our website, um, you know, I would definitely say try iTunes. iTunes would be the best way to do it. Um, if you've deleted old messages and, and you're wanting to go back and find them, I believe the way to do that is to unsubscribe and then resubscribe. Uh, and that'll give you a, a, a chronological list of all the podcasts that we've done. Uh, and, and that'll work better for you than going to our website, at least until we get the website fixed. Uh, which could be a couple weeks or a couple months. But like I said, we're looking at revamping um, the whole website just to kind of start from scratch, keeping the podcasts in place, of course. Um, And speaking of iTunes, by the way, in case you uh, haven't heard the past couple weeks, we do have an app that's available now. If you have an iPod, iPad, or iPhone, uh, our app is called Bible SP. Um, If you Go to the upper right corner where you've got a little search box on iTunes. You'll find uh, our our, pod, or our podcast on the app there. And thank you again to those of you who have uh, who've given us ratings on our app. Apparently, it's something that a lot of you guys are using, so that's great. I'm I'm happy to um, be able to get it to you more, get the podcast to you more um, effectively than we were just doing podcasts. So whatever works, I'm I'm willing to go for it. Anyway, that's all we've got uh, in terms of announcements today, so let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get to our lesson. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you that there is so much insight, so much wisdom that gets passed on to us uh, through your word, Lord, and we thank you that it has the power to transform our lives. Lord, we pray that today it would transform our lives, that we would become more like you as a result of studying your word, that we would be drawn to you, 
and that we would become more and more like you in our character. Help us to grow in the areas where you need us to grow, Lord. You know those areas. I pray that you'll speak to those areas of our lives right now as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've now reached a, I guess what you would consider to be a pretty major turning point in the book of Romans. Everything up to this point has dealt with doctrine, but Paul is now going to kind of change gears. He's going to change directions and write about uh, relationships that he has with the church in Rome and plans that he has for the future. However, I should add that while the doctrinal instructions are completed and they're behind us, there is still a lot of really, really good practical theology remaining in our study. In other words, things that we can apply to our lives, principles that we can apply to our lives. In an interview with, uh, with Christianity Today a few years ago, that sounds funny saying today a few years ago. In an inter- <laughs> but anyway, in this interview with Christianity Today, uh, which happened a few years ago, Rob Bell and his wife talked about how he isn't interested in figuring God or the Bible out because he views the Bible as a product of man rather than uh, a product of God, rather than it being divinely inspired. Uh, it was something that people put together, wrote by themselves, and compiled later on. And in this interview, he spoke about how he had changed his approach to studying the Bible and reading the Bible. He said, quote, the Bible is still in the center for us, but it's a different kind of center. We want to embrace mystery rather than conquer it, he said. And at that point, his wife jumped in saying, quote, I grew up thinking that we've figured out the Bible, that we knew what it means. Now I have no idea what most of it means, end quote. And yes, that is a literal quote. You know, this embracing of mystery is, in my opinion, one of the greatest downfalls of modern Christianity. Make no mistake about it. This is not a biblically accurate definition of mystery. What we're talking about here is sheer ignorance. It's ignorance. Are are we to believe that God doesn't want us to understand what he has revealed to us in scripture? Then why did he reveal it to us? You know, I suppose that with Rob Bell, the issue is rooted in his rejection of the divine inspiration of scripture, but there are plenty of followers of Jesus out there who accept the divine inspiration of scripture and yet propose the same thing, that we quit trying to figure everything in the Bible out and just love each other. Well, you know, if we throw the Bible out the window and just decide to love each other, what will tell us that we're supposed to love each other? I mean, (laughs) loving one another is a doctrine that is firmly established and spelled out in scripture. That's where we get that command to love each other. It's from Scripture. So if we throw Scripture out, we don't have that command. The fact is that there are several things which establish a follower of Jesus as being spiritually mature. Yeah, love is one of them, but it is not the be-all, end-all. That's not all there is to it. Paul's going to reveal some very important qualities, virtues, if you will, that build one up to a point of spiritual maturity. And just to warn you in advance, embracing ignorance is not one of them. So Paul continues writing in Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 16. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. 
But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul told us back in the first chapter of the book of Romans that he wanted to visit the church in Rome, and we might assume that he maybe personally knew some of his audience. After all, uh, some of the the Roman Christians had been Jews uh, who would come to Jerusalem from time to time. However, we can be sure that he didn't know most of the people who were in the church at Rome. I mean, Rome was this huge city. It was the capital of an empire. And it's very likely that new people were coming to faith in Jesus on a fairly consistent basis there. Nevertheless, Paul appears to be convinced that there are some spiritually mature followers of Jesus in the church. Maybe he knew them. Maybe he had only heard about them. We can't exactly be sure. But he gives us three qualities here that we want to aim for, that we want to embrace, if you will. The first quality that he's convinced that they have is that they are full of goodness. Now, I have some friends, I had some friends in seminary, you know, for example, who sort of like to tease people by saying something like, you know, hey, how are you? And the person usually responds with, good, to which, you know, I've heard my friends say, oh, but the Bible says that no one is good. Now, yeah, the Bible does say that about people before they come to Christ, people who are outside of God's righteousness, but I beg to differ on uh, the Bible saying that no one is good, that we can't be good. Uh, And let me explain that. There are two types of goodness. There's the world's definition of goodness, which refers to uh, almost anything. It can refer to an act of kindness that a person might do toward uh, another person. And then there's the Bible's definition of goodness, which can refer to the exact same kind act, but which is carried out by someone who is in Christ Jesus. The former, carried out by uh, you know a hypothetical atheist, for example, is unacceptable to God, because at best, it's done out of glorification for oneself. The very fact that they consider it to be a kind act should force them to wonder what standard they're using, what standard they impose when judging if something is kind or not. And I would say, you know, that biblically we would know that it's the image of God and it's the law of God written on their heart. And they would say, this hypothetical atheist would say that it's simply an act that makes the world a better place. Well, given that definition, the Holocaust was an example of kindness from the perspective of the German Nazi party. Well, you know, so obviously that doesn't work. The latter example, the same act of kindness, which is carried out by a follower of Jesus, on the other hand, is completely acceptable to God. The first one is unacceptable to God. The second one is acceptable to God and demonstrates to the world that the person is truly a child of God. The difference is the first person isn't in Jesus. The second person is in Jesus. And that is what makes their actions acceptable to God. Now, the reason that the Roman Christ followers would have been filled with goodness is not because they had goodness in and of themselves. It's because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, who is pure and undefiled goodness. Because the Holy Spirit fills us as followers of Jesus, and because he is good, the Holy Spirit is good, 
It shouldn't be any surprise that goodness is actually part of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul wrote to the Galatians telling them that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? That's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. See, the goodness doesn't flow from the heart of the unrepentant person, but it absolutely should be flowing from the heart of a person who's been transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit into a new creation in Christ Jesus. The biblical fact is that what fills your heart will overflow into and out of your life. If God's goodness is filling our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit, then our actions should be filled with goodness. The more we reflect God's nature through our actions, the more we will demonstrate his goodness as an aspect of that nature. So that's the first uh, virtue that Paul gives us here. The second virtue that Paul commends the church in Rome for is the fact that they're filled with all knowledge. This absolutely flies in the opposite direction of embracing ignorance or embracing mystery. See, God's desire is not for us to be in the dark regarding spiritual issues. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote, We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. See, here's the thing. If we have no knowledge of God because we've chosen to view him through nothing but the lens of ignorance and mystery, the logical conclusion is that we won't, what? Well, we won't destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against what we know about God. And we won't end up taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, the knowledge of God In this verse, the knowledge of God is the catalyst. It's the thing that makes everything else happen. The Bible never once asks us to be ignorant when it comes to God or our faith in him. For the church in Ephesus, Paul prayed that, quote, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. See, we need to understand that this knowledge is much, much more than just what we would refer to as head knowledge or book smarts. It's a supernatural knowledge that Paul knew surpassed book smarts. God hasn't left us to limp along through life uh, with ignorance, but being filled with supernatural knowledge, we're meant to experience a faith that soars and sings and grows like a healthy plant. Now, of course, We can't overlook the purpose of Scripture, right? Paul told Timothy that the Scripture was not only God-breathed through human authors, but he also told Timothy that it was profitable for some things. First of all, it's profitable for teaching. Let me ask you something. Have you ever tried to teach something that you don't know? No, teaching is obviously a reflection of knowledge. If we're embracing mystery and ignorance, we don't have anything to teach. It's profitable for reproof, refuting false claims and arguments, in other words. It's profitable for correction. When we're walking in a direction other than the direction that God is aiming us, it turns us around and sets our course straight. And finally, it's profitable for training in righteousness. In other words, it teaches us how to reflect the very nature of God in our actions and in our thoughts. The knowledge of God 
changes our whole worldview so that we learn not to see things simply from our perspective in an egocentric manner, that's what the flesh does, but so that we learn to see things and value things as God sees and values them in a manner that's centered on Jesus. So should we embrace mystery and ignorance? Perish the thought. So the spiritually mature believer is filled with goodness. The spiritually mature believer is filled with knowledge. And third, they're able to admonish one another. Now, let's be honest here. That, you know, this, this one about admonishing is a tricky one. It's common for us to think that admonishing someone means criticizing them. And when someone criticizes us, it's common, it's easy for us to interpret their admonition as, as criticism. We need to understand that the role of criticism is actually the opposite of the goal of admonishment. Uh, The goal of criticism is to tear someone down, but the goal of admonition is to build up and encourage. But there's a very important implication here that I don't want us to miss, and I want to center on this for just a minute. How will you, or anyone, be admonished or admonish others if we're not spending time in fellowship with a community of Christ followers? The fact is that if we're not going to church and participating actively in a community of believers, we're missing out on this vital aspect of spiritual maturity. Now, I've I've heard people present the argument that the Bible never explicitly says that we have to go to church, and I want to take just a moment to address that claim. I would agree that you won't find an explicit command to go to church. The Bible never says, thou shalt go to church. Uh, The most explicit command we have is probably Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And here we read, quote, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. This is what it means to go to church by the Bible's definition of church. Remember this. Remember this if you don't remember anything else. The church is a people. It's not a place when it's referred to in the Bible. Going to a church building, uh, which is what we usually do in our culture today, going to a church is uh, simply the most common way that people carry out this instruction to assemble together regularly. So why isn't the instruction more explicit? Why isn't it found in more places? I'd say that the answer to that is because it's assumed, the the authors assumed that the people from the early first century church were engaging and participating in a community of Christ followers. So it kind of went without saying. There's a passage in the book of Colossians that gives a, a perfect description of how God designed us to function together as a community in Christ. Paul writes, quote, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
That's from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. And this is actually, you know, this is a picture-perfect illustration of what we as the church should look like. When we admonish one another, it should be done with the goal of stirring one another to a stronger faith, stirring one another to be more and more like Christ in our character. It must be filled, when we admonish one another, it must be filled with love and compassion, treating them like our brother or sister and not like an enemy. Now, having laid out these three marks of a spiritually mature follower of Jesus, Paul then specifically acknowledges the fact that he has written boldly on certain points through this letter for the sake of reminding them of these things. In other words, he assumed that they already knew these things, but just in case anyone forgot, he's put it out there so they'll be able to go back and remember. And it would probably have seemed bold for him also to have written such a lengthy discourse to a church that he didn't even plant. And remember, most of these people he probably didn't even know. But they were located in Gentile territory, and bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles was the specific ministry that God had assigned Paul to. And it was a responsibility that he obviously did not take lightly. That calling was his out of God's grace. Not out of his qualifications, it was out of God's grace. And so thus he reminds us that God's grace is his one qualification and basis of authority. See, as far as Paul was concerned, the Gentile church was Paul's offering to the Lord. Yet he knew that presenting a worthy offering like this was something that he was actually incapable of doing himself. Instead, he specifically notes here, And this is important. He specifically notes that he had trusted his offering would be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, that's an attitude that we would do well to imitate. You know, you might never lead one of your friends or family members or co-workers to Jesus. You might never lead them in that way. But have you been faithful to sow seeds among them? There does reach a point where we have to simply trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do his transformational work in others. He's got that ministry of softening their hearts. We can't get somebody's heart to soften up. That's something the Holy Spirit alone can do. It's a work that we're not capable of doing, and it's a work that we might not ever even see ourselves. But our motivation should be the same motivation that Paul had, compelled by the love of Christ. That's what makes for an offering that's completely acceptable to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would continually fill us up with goodness, with your goodness, Lord. We know that on our own we have no goodness, but when you sent your Holy Spirit, we know that he bears fruit in our lives and that it's good. And so I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would Show his goodness through our lives. I also pray, Lord, that we would be filled with knowledge, that we would understand you, that we would be able to follow you because we know what's expected of us, that you would give us this supernatural knowledge that is beyond uh, comprehension by somebody who has not given their heart over to you. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to admonish each other in love, that there would be no criticism, only love, only the goal of causing one another to look more like you, to reflect your nature more accurately. God, we thank you so much for the principles that are revealed here in this passage. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us 
to apply these things to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.